misspelled. Oh, our. So, top corner um, edit button, little toggle switch. Started the recording. Okay. Yeah, whenever you switch, there's a thing that says it'll be fine. I'll, um, if you want to edit something, you gotta hit preview before. Sorry. That's all right. No big deal. Screen, is there like a microphone looking thing on the top that says yeah. minutes? One minute. I've got a lot of good stuff I'd like to say today. A lot of stuff that I think will be helpful. A lot of, think, a lot of things that I think need to be said. Um, but going into the new year, the pastor uh, in a couple weeks ago in the small group had a, a lesson that he talked about intentional living. Talk about you know living and, and every year you know gym memberships are up. I have the intention of getting in shape and being healthy. And then I don't know if grocery stores, health food aisles get ransacked on January first or anything like that. Or um, you know the different things that we say. Hey, I'm going to be on, get on top of my business and keep my books in order all year long. Or the different things. But it's a, it's a topic that comes around every year, and and I think it should come come around every day in our life, and especially as a, as a Christian. Um, but kind of getting into this topic, I was, I was doing a little bit of research and, and, and I learned a few things and, and here's where I'll start. It's like businesses, we're going to get to spiritual, but the first word that I wrote down was businesses, so don't, don't run away. I'm not a businessman. Um, businesses have learned that asking people what they want isn't a foolproof strategy. What customers say they're interested in often differs from what they actually buy. Um, it's not that the people are misleading or dishonest, it's they're good, here's the word, intentions that don't always translate to their purchasing decisions. Um, here's a story, a prime example comes from the 1990s. Who was alive in the 1990s? Don't, you don't have to put your hands up. I, I, I was in my, I remember this. Um, when McDonald's introduced a healthier cheeseburger option, who anybody remember that? Remember that the McFlopper? Um, that's what I heard somebody call the McFlopper. But it was um, customers had consistently requested a healthier choice for years, and backed by various surveys, McDonald's launched the McLean sandwich or McLean burger. You remember that? Like I, I remember that. I was not interested in it, but I remember it. Um, in 1991, uh, it didn't last, and like I said, some people called it the McFlopper. I don't know if that's a play on words for the Whopper or 
McDonald's or something, but despite customers expressing a desire for a healthier cheeseburger, they remain loyal to the Big Mac. Now, the McLean advertised like 91% fat-free, and um, if you remember, they said that it was like a, the, it was held together by seaweed extract or something, which sounds amazing. Um, but it was supposed to be super healthy. But it didn't match the customer's actual eating habits, and people said that they what people said they wanted didn't align with what they actually ordered. Now. Instances like that are prevalent and they're prompting companies to shift away from survey-based decisions when it comes to launching new products and websites and things like that to a more behavior-based uh, behavior data. Now, instead of asking what people want, businesses now focus on observing actual purchasing behaviors. <coughs> and this shift acknowledges that despite our good intentions, they might not actually materialize into purchasing decisions. Does that make sense? You know, especially going into the new year's like, you know, new year, new me, I'm gonna go hit the gym. And then January 1st happens, January 2nd happens, then by January 3rd, 4th, and 5th, you know, the gyms are emptied out. Like I've seen that, like, I'm not great at it, but I try to work out fairly often, but I see that as somebody that kind of year round is in and out of the gym. Like, attendance goes up at the first of the year, and then I don't get the machines, or I don't get the weights that I want because everybody's in there, and then February comes around, it's business as usual. Um, psychology refers to this as the intention-action gap, okay? Um, intention-action gap, it's a common human phenomenon. It points to the space where most of us exist, the gap between our intentions and our actual behavior. We hold intentions for how we want to live our life, build relationships, manage our schedules, businesses, and engagements. But similarly, we have intentions about our spirituality, like reading our Bible. This is the perfect time to start a year Bible plan. Most people don't start March 22nd, you know, hey, I'm going to read the Bible this year. That's probably when we quit, usually, when we get to Leviticus or Lamentations or something, and we just like throw in the towel. But uh, we have these goals. We have, um, oh, hey, I, I'm going to be in church more. Hey, I'm going to get my kids in church more. Or, hey, I'm going to be more generous this year. That, that's kind of the things that we think about when it comes to a new year. But by the end of the year, we look back and we didn't really change our behavior all that much, do we? A lot of us. Um, I know I have those same intentions most of the time. This gap becomes our reality and the space between what we intend and what we actually do. There's a disconnect, and we have this idea of who we want to be and how we want to live. New year, new me. I've heard that before. And we want to live, we want to live with intentionality, but when we step up to the counter, we order the Big Mac. That's what we do year after year, most of the time. And I'm trying not to paint with a broad brush, but if anybody's like me, that's what happens, is that we, we, get, we get motivated, and we have these great intentions, but in the end... We've got a, a Big Mac in our hand instead of the McLean, which I don't know if I'll blame myself for that one, but maybe a Subway sandwich instead of the McLean or something like that. So, so th that's the bottom line of our message today. We're going to get into the scripture right now, but if our actions don't match our beliefs, then our faith loses its authenticity. <coughs> if, our, if what we say we believe does not line up with what we do, then we come across and we feel inauthentic. 
Does that make sense? Like if, if, if the, and, and it's the struggle of every human being, whether it's spirituality or finances or other things. It's like we want to do this, but we do this. Now, in 2 Kings, we encounter the story of King Josiah and his intention, intentional living. Josiah was intentional in his leadership as a king, and he was intentional with the opportunities that God prepared for him. And I probably should open my Bible to there. You can tell I'm not practiced and I don't preach every week. There might be a reason for that. It's because pastor's usually here. But go to 2 Kings chapter 23. And um, we see the story of the King Josiah. Josiah was intentional in his leadership, and he was intentional with all the opportunities that God prepared for him. Uh, if we look, and uh, it'll be up on the screen, but the Bible says in 2 Kings 22 that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jediah, and his, uh, the daughter of Adiah the Bo of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. How would you like that to be your testimony as an eight-year-old? Like you were laser-focused, and you did not turn to the right hand or the left. I know if, if I was anything like my son, I was running around in circles most of the time, making sound effects and jumping off of couches. But Josiah, as an eight-year-old, was the ruler of Israel, and the Bible says that he followed... Uh, and he did that which was right inside the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Josiah stayed focused on what God had him to do. Later on in his life, in Josiah, uh, the Bible says of Josiah in 2 Kings 23, 25, and it says, Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to all of the law which Mo, uh, of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. How would you like to have that one? It's like there was no king before him like him, and then no king after him, in a good way. Um, like he followed the Lord with all of his heart and his soul. And this is the example of intentional living that we want our lives to be marked by. We don't want to be the kinds of people who come to church and listen and shake some hands and put some money in the offering plate, write some notes down in their Bible, but the other, you know, six days and 23 hours of the week, we're living totally different from the life that we live within these four walls. We want to be able to leave this church and have an intention of our life to live for God. We, we, need, we, want, to, we want to turn to the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our strength like Josiah did. Now, Josiah also, back in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, gives... This example to us, when the word of the Lord was read to him, uh, King Josiah repented. He tore his clothes in grief uh, that his life and the life of the nation was out of line with what God's word said. When we find that our lives are out of alignment, guess what? We need to repent of that. You know, and that, that starts from God's word. God's word is, is, should be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. 
And whenever God's word shines its light that this thing or this attitude or this action is wrong in your life, we should have the, um, the, the action, the, um, I lost the train of thought, but whenever we, whenever we, God shines his light on us, we need to have the attitude of repentance towards that. And whenever the year comes up, we begin to take an account of ourselves and look into our hearts and be like, hey, what did I do in 2023 that I would do differently in 2024? Or what did I do great that maybe I want to build upon? It, it's just one of those natural cycles in life where we just naturally look at, okay, this is the end of this season, and this is the beginning of this season. How do I, like, do I want to do better, or do I want to do worse? Do I want to stay the same? And we just automatically start doing that. And whenever God's word shines its light on our heart, especially in those times, we need to repent of those things that we're doing wrong. We need to turn from those ways that don't line up with God's, God's word. But unfortunately, whenever we reflect on those times, and guess what? It's like, God, you know what? I need to be more diligent about this in my life. And we sincerely, we sincerely repent. We sincerely, like, God, help me do this. God, I want to do better. I want to, whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I don't know your hearts. I don't know your actions, and I don't need to know them. But there's something in your life that's probably not perfectly aligned with God's word. And whenever God shows that to you, you're going to have that, you should have that attitude of repentance. But un unfortunately, there's a therapeutic aspect of repenting. Whenever you say you're sorry to someone, you feel better, and then the pressure's kind of off, right? You're like, hey, oh man, I ate my fifth Big Mac in a row, I need to stop doing this. Okay, I'm going to, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to eat better. Okay, I feel better. Then you go to bed, you wake up, and then what do you reach for the next day? Because you, you don't have that pressure of like, oh, I feel bad. Or you, you get caught doing something as a kid. It's like, oh, mom, I'll never do that again. The, but the pressure's off. And that, that's that intention and action gap. That's what happens in that, that gap. It's like, you know what, the pressure's off, and then there's no motivation to do what's right. You, you have the intention to do the action, but you get lost in the hyphen between those two words in that intention gap. Um, and we have a tendency to do that, and our conviction is calmed down because, guess what? I have the intention of doing something about it. Now, Josiah didn't let that calming effect of repentance keep him in a state of inaction, but we, what, we read what he did in 2 Kings 23, beginning in verse 1. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophet and all of the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord and walked after the Lord and to keep his commandments and all of his testimonies and his statutes with uh, all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Now what Josiah did is that he gathered the people together and read to them from the word of God. To close the gap between our intentions and our actions, we must understand the power of God's word and read it for ourselves. Now, pretty basic, right? You expect to come to church and hear somebody say, hey, you need to read your Bible. Uh, when we go over to the kids' church over there, we see the song, sing the song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Like that's, 
That's pretty fundamental. Like you say, oh, I know that Isaac. Have you done it? Intentions? Actions. There's a difference. But ha- like, it's simple, Isaac. It's simple. Hey, I know. Hey, I, I have a Bible right here. When's the last time you cracked it open and read it? And when it's, let's take it a, a, a step further. When's the last time that you've studied it and reflected on it? You know, um, I'm not a super motivated person to do stuff around the house. My motivation is popping in earbuds and putting music in or a podcast, and it kind of keeps me focused on task. But I'll find myself, you know, cleaning out the garage or doing different things around the house, and then I'm like, what did I just listen to? You know, it might be a perfect, like, might be great preaching, or it might be something great about, you know, health, it might be something great about business or finances or something like that, but... Even though there was a plug in each ear, it went in one ear, not the other. You know, have, have you ever been in that situation where you're driving down the road listening to something that's really good, and then you're just like, wait, i got to rewind that for ten minutes to see what, what I missed while my mind was wandering. How many times whenever we're reading God's Word, and you know, we're on our read the Bible through in a year timeline, it's like, hey, I've got to get through today's, or whenever you get two or three days behind, it's like, okay, I've got to read three times today. And you read and you skim and then you think of your grocery list and you think of where the kids need to get picked up. And then the next thing you know, hey, I'm done. I'm going to check it off my list. Have you been? I've been there. I'm there frequently. And I've got to be like, okay, let me go back. Let me, let me go back. Okay, let me read that again. Let me think about it. Let me ponder on those things. Let me let those words enter my eyes and into my heart. There's, a, there's not only a big gap between intentions and actions. There's a big gap between our eyes and our heart, or our ears and our heart when it comes to the things of God. You see, Josiah understood the power and value of the law of God, and he respected it. You see, the Word of God um, had been neglected. If you look back in chapter 22, they were cleaning out the temple and building the temple and rebuilding it. And that's whenever they kind of stumbled across God's word that had been left in ruins and not being observed or read or understood for years and years and years. That, that's kind of the, the beginning of Josiah's Reformation. Um, and they kind of stumbled across it. And whenever he came across it, he found it and he didn't treat it as irrelevant or outdated. He read it and applied it. He didn't say that it was irrelevant to their culture of that day because it had been in ruin for years. He... In turn, he viewed the culture through the lens of the scripture. This approach is still valuable and appropriate to us today, even though we're thousands of years removed from Josiah's day. We need to, we need to view, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this is an old book. It's, you know, you know, this translation is just old English and all these different things. And, you know, it's irrelevant to me today. A lot of people think that way. But guess what? It's not, it's not irrelevant. This is the lens by which we need to be looking at everything in our life and in our culture. Josiah, he held the word of the Lord as the standard for the people to follow. Unfortunately, his son Jehoiakim had a different response. Let me make sure I thought I missed something for a second. No. Um, Jehoiakim had a different response. It was Josiah's son. While the Bible says that there was no other king like Josiah before or after him, his son didn't follow after Josiah's example. In fact, Jehoiakim completely rejected the ways 
of his father. And it's humbling as a parent, as a father, to think that a child might not follow in my example. You know, I, I know some people that it might be a good thing for the son not to follow in their example, but my wife and I, we truly try to lead our kids in the ways of the Lord. And just to think of, think of that is humbling that you know, our kids might not follow us. But we read in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 36, King in King Jehoiakim's reign, when the word of the Lord was being read to him, how he responded. Now in the reign of his father, Josiah was responsive and open and repentant, and he did the things that he was supposed to do as a result of hearing God's word. Um, whenever he heard the word of the Lord, he was so sorrowful and grieved by the fact that he was not following God and that his people were not that he just, he wept and he ripped his clothes and he mourned and he repented. But in Jeremiah 36, 24, it says, talking about King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, it says, Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard these words. You know, there, there's different responses that we can have to God's word. We can have the response of Josiah when, oh, you know, God's word illuminated this area in my life that needs to be addressed. Oh, I must repent and I'm going to, I'm going to cry and I'm going to weep and I'm going to take action. Or we can be like Jehoiakim that, like, oh, big whoop. You know, that's just your opinion, dude, or whatever. You know, whatever the kids say these days. I don't even know what they say, what the slang is. Um... But we see two different personal responses to hearing God's word, and they should, they should have feared and respected the words of the Lord, but they didn't. Um, Jesus has something to say about the two different responses to his word. In Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, it says, Wherefore, or Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it, was, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Like there's two responses that we can have and there's two results of those responses to hearing God's word. This, I mentioned it before, this is an area where I struggle. Um, I promise you I'm not trying to do this with what I'm about to say, but like I, I know a fair amount about the Bible. I've, in my 40 years, there have been very few times that I've not been in church on Sunday. I've read a lot of books, I've been around a lot of wise people, and that's not to puff myself up, that's more of an indictment on myself when you look at where my spiritual life is compared to the knowledge that I have of God's Word. And I think it's true no matter what level of biblical knowledge that you might have, I, I would almost guarantee that no one has this level of knowledge and their actions are exactly on the same level. You know, I, the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. You know, I, there's a lot of places where I read the Bible and I'm like, I need to change that. And then I have that intention, but then my actions don't match up. Um, like I said, this is, this is more of an indictment on myself because I should be in a better place spiritually than I am. 
I've heard the truth, but I, maybe I, I know there's no maybe about it, and I haven't put it all into practice. I'm able to consume a lot of practical content of life, career advice, finances, fitness, health, but I haven't been able to bridge that gap between the intentions and actions very often. And if you're a human, I bet most of you have that same battle as I do. Now here's, here's where it gets a little more practical. Josiah may have had the same troubles as we all do, but he did one thing that helped him to be intentional. We'll look back in verses 2 and 3. Um, and the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, of both small and great. And he read it in their ears, all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, and to keep his commandments, and his testimonies, and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Now, what Joseph did that maybe I have a problem with is that Joseph went public with his intentions. Okay, It's easy to sit in a, a padded seat or on your couch reading the Bible and God points something out to you through his word or through the preaching. It's like, hey, I've got to do this. And, you, and, and earnestly and sincerely, you pray with your heart to the Lord, like, dear God, I'm going to do this. Please help me to follow through. And then you walk out, and then the cares of life, and your to-do list, and your neighbors, and your dog got loose, and then you just forget. And nothing happens with it. But what Josiah does, he went public with his intentions, convictions, and commitments. And it's time for us to go public with our convictions and with our commitments. Okay? Now, I don't know what that means for you individually, but it may be going to Pastor Kyle and say, hey, I'm convicted about fill in the blank, and I'm committed to do something about this. Can you help me be accountable? That's one way you can do it. Maybe it's going to your family and doing the same things, like, hey, honey, we need to do better at this. Can you help me be accountable to blank? Even to your kids. I've, I've done that with my kids. Whenever I start to lose my temper, and, I, and, and it's like, hey, AJ, Billy, I really shouldn't have lost my temper. Can you please, you know, please forgive me and please help me not to you know, do that. I should be the parent there, but I'm asking my kids for help. And there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's going to your friends, peers, coworkers, and making your faith public. Now, I know a really good place to start. We're starting small groups next week. Okay, and there's the word small. You're not going in front of the whole church saying, hey, I'm struggling with not hitting the snooze button 1,200 times in the morning. I heard somebody say the other day, I set two alarms. One for the person I want to be and one for the person that I actually am. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to get up and I'm going to you know, fold the laundry or do the stuff before I get busy at work. But it's like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow and I snooze. For some people, it's like, I set 17 alarms, one for like the number one me, one for the number two me, like, and you kind of go down the line until like, oh, I got to get to work, let's get up and go. But in small groups, it's a great, a great place where you might not get into the really deep nitty gritty things that you're working on, but hey, you could say, hey, I need to read my Bible more, can you maybe text me a couple times a week and say, hey, 
hey, I read this today, have you read yours? You know, and just be open like that. That's what these small groups are for. That's the perfect place to be even just a little bit vulnerable. And it's like, hey, I want to do this. Will you help me be accountable for that decision? Maybe it's even just going to one friend who loves you and, what's, and wants what's best for you and asking them for some accountability. Um, let's not let these convicting messages, and I, and I hope there's some truth in this message that, that really resonates with you. And if there's something, like, don't let it stay in the pew. Don't let it stay in this building. Go public with it. Go... It could be just one person. It could be writing it on your refrigerator, but just go public with it. And th- this is how groups like AA and Weight Watchers and Fitness Group have such an effective, um, they're so effective in our lives. It's, there's accountability. Um, I, attend, I attend a small workout group in the morning at 5.30 in the morning. And like I, you heard that right, like, and I don't work all the time, but four times a week I have the opportunity to go work out with people that I know are going to be there. There could be six to ten people there in the morning, and I know that if I miss the next time, they're like, "Hey, Isaac, where were you yesterday? Did you hit the snooze button?" Did, you know, there was one time where I was actually legitimately sick for a few days, and I didn't go for about three days. Then the weekend came, and then the next guy's like, hey, we were about to call the police and health and welfare check on you. He's like, we didn't know where you were. You're usually here. But that, that accountability is what helps us follow through with our intentions. Um, I, looked at, I looked at my training app this morning, and I've logged 243 training days this year. Now, some of them are just like a walk around the block, so don't think that I'm doing super crazy stuff. But... The other people that I work out with see those logs and they see those posts and things like that. And that accountability drives me to be a better person and to be more consistent. And if I weren't a part of that group, I would guarantee you I probably wouldn't have done a quarter of that or even you know, 10% of that. Find someone, a group, an entire church, something that will help bridge that gap between intentions and actions. Reading more about Josiah in 2 Kings 23, the, uh, most of the story is dealing with and getting rid of idolatry, getting rid of false gods. Now, at first glance, we can look around our house and our communities and our neighborhoods like, no, no false gods here, let's just move on. But in reading through verses uh, 4 and 5, he goes into great detail, and I think we go into verse 6, about these idols. If you look in verse 4 of chapter 23, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all of the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron. And he carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out of the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and stamped it into small powder, and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. Pretty extreme sounding, right? Like, he told the people, like, hey, he told the priests and all these guys, like, anything that was offered to Baal or that was for the purpose of worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, he burned them outside of the city 
And he didn't just leave the ashes there. He took the ashes and he crushed it into powder and then scattered it over the, the cemetery. Uh, he went to great lengths to rid the nation of idolatry. He burns them to ashes and scatters the dust everywhere. And he does it to say, hey guys, let's not just put these idols back in the storage unit in case we might need them later. He says, let's completely demolish these things. Let's get rid of them. Let's put them away from us so that they're not a, a temptation in the future. Josiah was serious about what he believed in, but it doesn't mean... but. But that may not mean anything to us today. I say to you, this was the primary issue of the Old Testament was the idolatrous uh, worship in Israel. But it's also our primary issue today. This is, if this is what keeps us from closing the gap between our intentions and our intentional actions, it's the primary issue today, especially if those intentions are to follow God. If, though, if anything, um, and I might have missed a sentence there to make it sound sen- uh, to make sense, but an idol is anything that competes for God's attention with you. It doesn't need to be a statue to Baal or worshiping the, the sun god or the moon god or, or any other person. It's anything that just distracts you from what God wants you to do can be an idol in your life. These idols may look different. They may not be graven images that we bow down to or pray to, but they are all around us. There are countless things that fight for attention that are in direct competition with God for the intention of his people. They may be in your pocket and suck you into a doom scroll. They may have helmets and throw around pigskins may have antlers and score 300, or I don't know, what's a good score for an elf? Is 300 pretty good? Respectable? Okay. I haven't got one yet, so I wouldn't know. Um, like these things, like, and, and none of those things are bad. The Bible says nothing like, thou shalt not hunt an elk. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But whenever that elk gets more of your attention than God does, then that's whenever it becomes an issue. It's anything that competes to draw your attention away from God. That's an idol. Now, sometimes what competes with God for your attention is the back of your eyelids, which steal away 30 minutes or an hour where you could be pursuing a relationship with God. Or could it be another episode of The Office or whatever your favorite show is, which steals 30 minutes that you could be reading about your small group discussion coming up next Sunday or whatever chapter you are in the Bible. Sometimes these idols look just like decompressing and turning off your brain after a long day. And there's a place for that. But if that is taking away the time that you should be doing something for God, then that's when it becomes an idol. It could be just a little bit of comfort that gets in the way of closing this intentions gap. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me, but if you honestly don't know what that is for you, ask God... (coughs) Ask the Holy Spirit to point that out in your life, and He will. I mentioned distractions in your pocket earlier. Here's some statistics. As, uh, as of a few years ago, it says we check our phones on average 50 times per day. And I, I think that might be a little low. Um, about, about 40% of phone users report feelings of loss or incompleteness if they're away from their phones for more than an hour. of phone users say that their phone has come between them and their spouse. 
the amount of screen time is affecting intimacy with the relationship with their spouse. And if that's true of your marriage or your relationships, then I guarantee you that it is true with your relationship to God. You see, we all have good intentions when it comes to our relationship with God, His Word, and what we're able to do with it. But there are these distractions, these idols that get in the way. And all I'll say is that we need to take some action to eliminate these distractions. Put up some guardrails so that you won't be distracted and we won't turn to the left or the right as Josiah had the reputation of not doing. If we don't guard ourselves, then we will give our attention to what is immediate, urgent, or convenient. If you look up the opposite of the word intentional, does anybody have an idea what that would be? No? Accidental. The opposite of intentional is accidental. That's exactly how we live if we fail to live with intentionality. Stumbling through life by accident. It doesn't mean that we purposely do what's wrong. Like it, doesn't mean, it doesn't even mean that we're purposefully doing something wrong. But it's if we're leaving out the things that we should be doing, then that in turn is wrong. Um, stumbling through life by accident is not what I want to do with my life. It doesn't mean, uh, I just read that, we'll just do whatever we fall into if we don't live by intention. I remember there was a football coach, I think it was Bill Parcells from the Cowboys, said that nothing good ever happens after midnight or some, something like that. That's because there's nothing really intentional to do after midnight. You just fall into whatever cr the crowd is doing. And that's not, the, that's not what I would like to do. And as, as we close, let's not be a church that lives accidentally. Let's not be a father or a wife or a child or a brother or a sister that has an accidental relationship. Let, let's be marked by the intentions that we have and the actions that we do behind those intentions. Stumbling life by life through accident, by accident, is not what we want to do. Let's not be a church that lives by accident. Let's live intentionally. If you don't know what needs to be, what you need to be intentional about, here's some ideas. Number one, be intentional about your spiritual community and accountability. That's, that's a big word that encompasses a lot of things around church. Whether it's service, whether it's just even attendance, whether it's your generosity, whether it's you know just forming community, a community with other believers. Be intentional about that. Decide if, if you're one that comes once every quarter to church, like, hey, let's come twice or three times or once a month or something like that. Like, just make an intention. It's like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just make progress in the right direction. Let's um, be intentional about elimination of distractions. Once you decide what you want to do, what are the things that are trying to draw you away from that intention? What is it? Like, I don't know, if, if, if your intention is to be more healthy, what are the things that draw you away from that? And get rid of those things. If your intention is to read the Bible more, you know, what are the things that keep you from doing that? Is your phone on your nightstand a big distraction from reading your Bible? You know, like, I'm no great person, but I, there's a long, it's been years since I've gone to bed with my phone on my nightstand. I leave that in another room. One is not, not for like spiritual reasons, but because 
if it's right beside me, I'll hit the snooze until I'm late for work. But if I have to get up, and sometimes I'll put like a, a glass of water by my, th my, my phone, super practical, not super relevant to what I'm saying, but do things to eliminate those distractions. Do you want to know God's Word? Like, it's one thing to read God's Word, but do you want to know God's Word? Find, find a curriculum, find a small group, ask pastors, like, hey, how can I learn about the Bible? And I think pastor said last week or a couple weeks ago, um, you know, it's a good thing to read your Bible through in a year, but maybe, one, maybe this year you say, hey, I'm going to learn the book of Romans this year, or the book of 2 Timothy, or or Genesis, or something like that, and you dive deep to where you have a good understanding of whatever topic or whatever book that, that you want to do. Um, let's be intentional about serving God's people. The last time I preached, I talked about if everybody serves, if everybody ministers, then guess what? The odds are everybody will be ministered to, including yourself. So make an intention to, um, to serve God's people. Uh, John F. Kennedy is famous for saying, ask not what you can, your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That should be the same for our church. What can I do for my church? And if everybody has that attitude, then everybody is ministered to. And then the last one I've got on here is living your faith. Like, just be intentional. Um, I've said it before, I've got a, I, I, I saw him driving to work. He was riding his bike to his church in Sheridan, Marty. I worked with him for, a few, for probably about a year before he retired. Like, he, he wore his faith on his sleeve, not in a, I'm better than you, just like, he just exuded his faith. You know, he talked about God, and he said, praise the Lord, to somebody who's probably on drugs at work. I don't, like, he was just, he just exuded it. He didn't care. Find out a way for you to live your faith. Do the people that live around you, do they know that you're a person of faith? Do they know that you attend a church? Do they know that you love God? You don't have to beat them over the head with it, but like, are you living in a way that it's obvious? Now, like I said, as we close, you know the preachers that close about 17 times over 30 minutes. I'm not going to be that way. Last couple sentences I'll say. Let's focus on living a life of intentionality where we don't accidentally stumble through life. Let's live intentional. And like, it doesn't have to be perfect. I wrote down here, it says, a little will go a long way. Like, just a little bit of intentionality will go a long way. If it's the right time. If we're intentional about eating more Big Macs, that's not what I'm talking about. But if we're intentional on living for the Lord, the little bit will go a long way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for being an example of intentionality.